Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the sixth episode of Tangredome. I'm your host, Iggy. And uh, I suppose we've had a fairly decent weekend of fights, at least uh, boxing-wise. Mostly due to dynamic, dramatic finishes. Uh, not so much in MMA. Oh, I suppose there was that uh, really funny finish uh, in on the prelims in the UFC. And... Uh, a lot of hot takes uh, going around, uh, making rounds around social media, and particularly on Twitter, on boxing Twitter, that is. A lot of what I would like to call overreactions to the performances. But yeah, uh, Usyk uh, had a somewhat alarming to some uh, sort of performance against uh, Derek Chisora, and uh, in a way... Came up with a bit of a showcase uh, against James Maloney. A very impressive outing that um, prompted many to call Inoue the best boxer in the world, pound for pound, currently. Which is uh, a bit hyperbolic for my tastes, but uh, I suppose we're going to get into that later. Murat Gasiev uh, finally... Uh, had his uh, de- heavyweight debut against some guy, knocked him dead with literally the second right hand that he threw. <laughs> and uh, Tank Davis demolished Leo Santa Cruz after a somewhat unexpectedly hard fight. I mean, uh, Leo Santa Cruz is always, uh, always can be trusted to show gamesmanship in any given fight. That's just who he is. But that was a really scary knockout, one of the most vicious ones in recent memory. Thankfully, uh, Leo Santa Cruz uh, came out on his Twitter saying that he's uh, he's been to the doctor and he's, uh, well, as okay as he can be after such a knockout. Obviously, we don't always have access to the uh, to the behind-the-scenes stuff regarding uh, the health of some of the fighters. But uh, I'm willing to trust him on this one. Uh, we'll see how he fares in the future. But yeah, let's just jump straight into it, shall we? Alexander Usyk versus Derek Chisora. A somewhat frustrating showing from uh, Usyk. Uh, he's shown too much uh, respect to a, uh, a shambling exhausted Chisora late in the fight for my tastes and the tastes of many other Usyk fans and uh, seemed unable to deal with dirty tactics early on that is to say very early on because uh, for his credit he adjusted very quickly and from the second round onwards he didn't look as uncomfortable in the clinch with uh, Chisora but I mean, that's just that just tells us um, how much stock we put into Usyk and uh, how high of a standard we we as uh, fight fans hold Usyk uh, to. There, were, there was also uh, speculation about Usyk uh, hurting his uh, left hand or left arm, rather left shoulder, somewhere down the stretch, which is uh, what made him uh, more conservative than he would uh, usually be. No moments in the fight where Usyk, uh, quite frankly, looked a one stiff, one two away from uh, dropping Chisora dead. 
But, you know, Usyk is uh, naturally a bit of a slow starter because he's uh, one of those fighters that prefer to take the first few rounds off in order to build up their reads and uh, pour it on late. Which is as feasible a strategy as any at higher weights, given uh, given the level of conditioning some of these uh, higher weight class fighters have. And exhaustion, naturally, is one of the most uh, reliable ways of getting finishes, or at least uh, uh, securing wins, and running away with uh, decisions by the end of it. This performance prompted many people to come out saying that, uh, with the, come out with somewhat reactionary takes that uh, sound like uh, Usyk is was looked like he's simply unable to hang in there with uh, actual real heavyweights, quote unquote, and things like Anthony Joshua is uh, bound to knock Usyk dead, despite the fact that his style is nothing, absolutely nothing like Chisora's. Admittedly, Chisora fought a really crafty and smart uh, fight because, uh, I mean, roughing up a slickster and limiting his mobility using the clinch and making him carry your weight in order to sap his gas tank and then rough him up on the inside is always a good idea against uh, someone who likes to move around a lot. But to my eye, it wasn't something like... Usyk didn't look like he was... Uh, in any danger of being starched by Chisora, despite the fact that he swung these big honking badonkadongs at every opportunity. Most of them landed uh, on his shoulders and his guards, so, you know. I wasn't very alarmed. Like, sure, they looked scary, because this is an enormous walking fridge of a man, absolute tank, throwing these giant wind-up shots, so... Of course they're going to look impressive and look intimidating, because uh, with the amount of weight that uh, Chisora was swinging with them, uh, moved Usyk around the, the ring, which was, uh, come to think of it, like, strangely small for such big guys. Both of them well over six feet. But yeah, uh, I've, I was... I felt very frustrated watching this live because, uh, I mean, I suppose a lot of uh, boxing fans will be will be with me on this because uh, when I when I say that we've expected more from Usyk, Chisora kept leaving himself wide open and kept squaring himself up while throwing these uh, winding uh, winding punches. And someone of Usyk's caliber is uh, would find find it fairly easy to counter, or at least he should have. At some point in the fight, Chisora just blatantly, literally took a stroll around the ring. Like uh, when when he was uh, on the ropes and uh, Usyk had him cornered, what Chisora did was just basically turn his back on Usyk and just kind of uh, take a leisurely stroll along the ropes, and uh, was. Honestly, expecting him to go to just uh, essentially quit on the spot right there. <laughs> and I was watching the fight with my granddad, and me and my granddad always get uh, fairly dramatic, uh, fairly enthusiastic while watching fights because uh, this is just uh, this is just my granddad's personality, and uh, it sort of rubs off on me. So we kept yelling, "Just, just fucking punch him, Mosik! Just punch him! Just knock him dead!" 
But uh, once uh, the passions, once we've uh, calmed down somewhat, uh, we sort of realized that, uh, you know, it wasn't as bad as show, uh, as bad of a showing as uh, we would have, we had felt at first. I mean, Chisora fought a particularly awkward and ugly fight that not many top boxing heavyweights would, and he was sent reeling from shots by, from a diminished and possibly injured Usyk. I mean, Chisora looked just about done past uh, the seventh, the seventh round. And I have to say, I feel like this needs to be addressed. Like, this isn't like me making excuses for Usyk, but uh, all of this seemed like fairly shady to me, or, or the way the uh, fight was officiated, and it made me very wary about uh, Usyk trusting, putting his trust in the judges like that. Because frankly, that referee let Chisora get off with a lot of. Uh, borderline and sometimes at, at points downright illegal stuff because past the third and, and maybe the fourth round what Chisora was uh, basically driven to is uh, to wade through Usyk's volume in order to land dick punches like if you look at the way that uh, some of the people are betraying this it's, it looked like Chisora bravely waded through Usyk's volume and uh, to get on the inside. Uh, and then he bullied Usyk there. And it was just... Uh, it didn't look like the case to me. And uh, some of our analysts, uh, like particularly Ryan Wagner and Philip Pacioli Marchetti, who actually recorded an alternate commentary track, which I highly recommend you... Which I highly recommend you go and check out. Uh, it's on our Patreon which you can join for three bucks per month. Because by all accounts, the commentary was just downright unbearable. With a lot of commentators uh, in the commentary booth making it seem like Usyk is... Uh, Usyk is the one uh, who is uh, one uh, who is a stiff one-two away from being slept. But yeah, what uh, Chisora did uh, w was uh, throw one big, like, overhand which uh, made uh, Usyk cover up, and while he was covered up, he, uh, Chisora would uh, move uh, into the clinch, secure uh, Usyk's arm, and uh, wring his arm to the sides in order to upset his balance, and then try and land sloppy body shots from the inside. Most of them so sloppy, in fact, that uh, they landed... Well, they were nut shots, basically. And while Usyk looked uh, fairly uncomfortable early on, from the second round onwards, he adjusted his uh, stance and he would move into the clinch himself uh, whenever uh, Chisora moved towards him in order to stifle the uh, big winding overhands, uh, make it land with the, the forearms on his forearms and shoulders, and maintain his posture uh, by tucking his hands in tucking his arms in, assuming a bit of a shoulder roll position, which is uh, uh, something that James Tony and Floyd Mayweather, uh, people who, and Penel Whitaker, people who were, were very adept at uh, utilizing the shoulder roll and uh, the filler shell in order to stifle someone's strikes and uh, prevent them from manipulating them uh, in the clinch and shoving them around in the clinch. And to be fair, the tactic of, uh, if you have 
enough power, the tactic of making your opponents uh, or making the tactic of, tactic of deadening your opponent's arms with your power is uh, is a fairly feasible one. But uh, that is with the caveat that uh, you're going to actually land your shots to the head and to the body uh, after you do that, after you uh, make them feel a respectable degree of fatigue. And as to the uh, Usyk being possibly injured, there was a point in the fight where he landed a body shot and then shook his hand uh, as if it, uh, as if landing that shot hurt him because uh, either the angle was weird or something, some, something uh, of that nature, something else of that nature. Either that, or uh, Chisora wringing his arm, trying to wring his arm out of its socket, uh, was uh, was what uh, exacerbated the injury, or affected Usyk's ability to throw correctly, which led to the injury. And I mean, Usyk has a history of injuries to his arms, uh, particularly a bicep injury, a forearm injury, and I'm sure there were some shoulder injuries as well during the course of his career. If that's the case, then his performance makes uh, a lot more sense and becomes a lot more impressive. But I don't actually know if that's the case, so uh, feel free to disregard all that. Which is what I'm going to do, and then uh, go into the details of what he did to succeed right now. I mean, people criticize Usyk for uh, not having punching power a lot of the time, but I mean, that's just uh, plain not his style. Like, he can crack whenever he wants. Like, it's not something, like, earth-shatteringly painful or thudding. It's just, uh... His punches are very sharp. They uh, they keep you honest. They make you pay attention. And more impo- most importantly, they build up accumulative damage. Like, whenever you get hit with as many headshots uh, from someone who isn't putting a lot of power behind them, but still lands over and over again with uh, incredible accuracy, it's still gonna leave you with your ears ringing and your vision doubling. <laughs> I mean, you're still being punched in the head. And also, it's a 200-pound man uh, hitting you over and over again in the head. And like, after a certain point, once you move past the 200-pound limit, 200-pound point, uh, the there is such a thing as a law of diminishing returns. Like, everyone past this point hits hard as fuck. It becomes more of a question of technique uh, more than anything, uh, say for perhaps absolute genetic freaks like someone like George Foreman. But yeah, his movement looked uh, somewhat affected early on with uh, uh, the size of the ring, which is, uh, I'm sure, he's something he's uh, not particularly used to. And uh, Chisora stamping on his feet and... Uh, <laughs> I really like the adjustment that he's made uh, at the mid, uh, midway point of the fight whenever he started fainting uh, Sora and uh, moving his, him backwards with the, the feints and uh, trying to pressure him. And he's had a lot of success doing that. So for, for, for whatever reason, he decided to be conservative. <laughs> like He would push Chisora to the point where Chisora's back was touching the ropes with feints, not even strikes, not even volume, just feints. And then he would just watch Chisora circle away from him, like, not even, like, pivot, and just just plain, just sort of uh, walk to the side and get out of there. Very weird. 
But I mean, push comes to shove. Uh, Usyk uh, still, uh, like, t- like I mean, he basically took the first, uh, like, three or four rounds off, and uh, he was still competitive in them. And uh, so those were sort of swing rounds, even if you give them to, to Chisora, Usyk still has, even if you gave them to, to Chisora, Usyk still has a solid argument for winning those. And then all all the rest of the rounds he basically won. Like there's, there shouldn't be any argument about that. Most of Chisora's shots uh, landed, either missed or landed on uh, Usyk's arms, shoulders. Maybe some of them in the back. I mean, kidney punches still hurt, but uh, they weren't purposefully landing there, so it's a bit of a, so the effect is a bit diminished. Meanwhile, Usyk landed almost every punch that he threw. And that's while going up weight classes. And uh, Hax pointed this out to me. Like, this is very weird to him. Like, the fact that uh, this is something that people used to worship Floyd Mayweather for. And uh, this is, and uh, this showing is uh, used as a way to uh, diminish Usyk's uh, skill set and diminish his ability to fight and diminish his successes in spite of many things going against him. I mean, it's just... Fight fans are weird like that, especially boxing fans, which is something that may have to do with the sheer uh, depth and breadth of the fan base, uh, simply because boxing is really, really old. But all in all, I'm not really alarmed by this performance. I mean, it wasn't a particularly legacy-defining legacy defining outing Moreover, not every fight in boxing is legacy-defining. I mean, that's just how boxing works. A lot of fights are simply there to like test your prospect, test your champion, maybe put some rounds in. And this is what it was. This was a fight to further help Usyk adjust at heavy heavyweight. So I think he did he did that admirably enough. I would like him. I would like to see him uh, go to the body a lot more. That that's uh, that much is certain. It's a sentiment that I share with uh, his uh, compatriot Loma- Vasily Lomachenko, because uh, Vasily Lomachenko, because uh, it's something that brings him success all the time, and uh, yet, uh, to my taste, it doesn't uh, go for it nearly as often as I would like him to. But I mean, body shots. Everyone should. Uh, everyone should. Uh, go to the body a lot more than they actually do. It's a problem even in boxing. I mean, this is just a weird, uh, weirdly low-stakes fight that uh, doesn't really really decide anything going forward. And uh, none of the top champion heavyweights uh, in that division really fight the same way that Chisora did in this fight. Someone like Anthony Joshua isn't going to go on the inside and try to secure collar ties and rough you up there or try to secure an underhook and then try and wring your sh- uh, your shoulders out of their sockets. Me and Kyle, uh, that is Kyle McLaughlin, uh, the boxing talking man himself, conversed about recently when we recorded a Patreon bonus episode that uh, should come out sometime later this week. Check it out if you're a patron and consider joining our Patreon to check it out if you're not, because... We've had some. We had a very interesting and funny back and forth concerning the fights and concerning the uh, division picture. 
the divisional layout. We've also made a lot of jokes that would uh, make someone like Ad Gallo, the wrestling talking man, very upset. <laughs> but I mean, me and Kyle were both uh, sort of horrible people, so <laughs> that is to be expected. I mean, all in all, this fight sort of reminded me of that uh, other fight that uh, Lomachenko had with the with that fella. What was his name? I think it was Salid of something. Like, think he's think he was from. Uh, I think he was from Kazakhstan. One, I think he won the Asian Games a couple of times, if I remember correctly. I think, uh, uh, like AJ AJ Sutherland from AJ Live and Direct uh, pointed this out to me. Like, uh, reminded me of this. I think we were pretty sure he moonlights as a Yandex driver. Yeah, real throwback that man. Man, boxing used to be so much better back in the day. Everyone was more serious about actually staying humble. Not just paying it lip service, not just paying lip service to the concept. Especially during the days when someone like Joe Walcott had to work in a factory all day and then fight on an empty stomach after five shifts in a row. Tough times breed tough people. They don't bake them like they used to. Because <laughs> they... <laughs> they had no flour back then, the harvest was bad. <laughs> I am now, <laughs> I am now unreasonably proud of this joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, what I, what I liked about what um, Usyk did, uh, whenever Chisora uh, moved for the clinch, he adjusted the way that he would meet him in the clinch. Like sometimes he would, as I've already said, he would assume the stonewall posture and just uh, move into the pocket. And sometimes he would... Fish for... Sometimes he would uh, secure an underhook right away and then uh, upset Chisora's posture himself and not let him do it first. So this forced Chisora to muscle his way into the clinch and use a lot more energy to try and uh, do whatever the fuck it is he wanted to do. Sap Usyk's energy by landing dick punches, I suppose. But yeah, it's a fight I don't feel really compelled to go back and watch. Uh, which is something that can be said about the the next two fights, next two boxing matches that uh, took place in lighter weights. Naoya Inoue versus uh, James Maloney. I mean, this fight should have been stopped like uh, three times over. <laughs> I mean, Maloney is tough, but he took an an awful beating in that fight. It was basically a showcase performance for uh, Naoya Inoue, and uh, a performance that prompted many to... Uh, to say that uh, Inoue is the best is the best boxer they've ever seen, <laughs> purely because uh, I mean Inoue is brilliant. Uh, don't get me wrong, but it was obvious just uh, how much more skilled Inoue actually is when compared to Maloney. So I wouldn't uh, personally I wouldn't use that win as something as a jumping off point for an argument that uh, Inoue is uh, pound for pound number one. I just like him to fight more and fight better guys. And then we could talk. But yeah, uh, Inoue starched Maloney uh, with a picture-perfect counter-right hand, baited the jab from Maloney, baited the step-in with the jab from Maloney, which is, uh, which is important, which uh, created this head-on collision when 
uh, in a way through this incredibly short, incredibly fast, very tight right hand that uh, dropped Maloney dead. You know, his counter punching is just plain outrageous. I, I've got, I've got to admit, it's just incredible. You know, is also very pretty to watch. He's, he's very fan friendly, which is, I suppose, which is uh, something that uh, may have. Uh, prompted a lot of these people to uh, call him a pound-for-pound pound number one uh, already, simply because he's just so pretty to watch. And, you know, admittedly, he's a very pretty man himself. <laughs> His mechanics are very uh, impressive. Like, uh, I think part of the reason, which is something that uh, Fenio, the Fire Sides video breakdown contributor Fenio, he said the, the in the group chat that we have, uh, about uh, Inoue's mechanics, uh, like it seems like Inoue is able to throw uh, so many punches so hard with such volume and uh, not fall off a cliff later in the fight if he can't staunch his man early is uh, the fact that he has incredible mechanics. And having incredible mechanics is always like it's always beneficial to energy preservation. Well, that, and obviously, in a way, is an incredibly well-conditioned boxer. So, yeah, very impressive fighter, in a way. Tank Davis threw an uppercut from hell and uh, damn near took Leo Santa Cruz's head off. Genuinely unsettling knockout in the way that uh, Leo Santa Cruz fell over. It was one of those knockouts that where it looks like the other fighter that got knocked out... Uh, he looked like a puppet that had its strings cut off. Then he just toppled over, like a ragdoll. Like in the Elder Scrolls games, when uh, whenever you kill an NPC, sometimes they just go, <coughs> and then and they fall over in an awkward uh, heap of limbs. That's how that knockout looked like. That's what that knockout looked like. And Leo Santa Cruz gave a fairly tough fight to Tank uh, before that, so which prompted. Uh, to which prompted everyone to say that Tank Davis is legit when uh, when it's actually you know the opposite <laughs> because I mean Tank Davis is twice the size of Leo Santa Cruz but I mean that's just that's just uh, the nature of this fan base essentially and the theme with all these fights uh, the theme was uh, fairly low stakes fights that are meant to be showcases for the consensus more skilled and more accomplished fighter pound for pound like these guys were expected like Chisora, uh, Maloney and uh, Leo Santa Cruz were expected to make the fight competitive like to make uh, the other fighter work for the finish but they were still expected to get finished Chisora didn't get finished which is uh, what prompted many to think that Usyk isn't able to hang at heavyweight Maloney, Maloney got styled on and then finished, which is what prompted everyone to say that Inoue is the best boxer in the world. And uh, Leo Santa Cruz, who is much smaller than Javonta, who has trouble making weight, actually, had a gutsy showing, which proved to everyone that Javonta Davis has a heart or whatever. I'm not saying he doesn't, it's just that uh, Leo Santa Cruz was expected to lose. And he lost in a devastating fashion. Like, sometimes I just want fight fans to just sort of dial it back a little. I want them to calm down. I mean, Usyk didn't get blown out the water or he didn't get bullied. He just didn't start a half-dead Chisora later on. 
Inoue isn't the best fighter in the world yet. He just needs to fight more elite guys. That would really test his skill set. And Tank is twice the fucking size of LSC. I mean, just calm down, please. Like, uh, I'm not really shitting on anyone for getting excited, but not every fight is somehow a career legacy-defining showing or is indicative of how a fighter would perform down the line, especially in boxing. I mean, some of those people are MMA fans or kickboxing fans and not really someone who watches boxing all that often. So uh, this is the, there is this carryover effect where, from MMA, for example, where every fight is actually a career legacy-defining turning point because, because of how MMA matchmaking works and how fighters train in MMA. It's just the meta. It works that way. In boxing, not so much. In boxing, the pacing is much more... is It's much slower. Like, uh, the prospects and contenders actually get to build up to the point where they actually face pound-for-pound threats. I mean, obviously, it leads to a lot of stuff like uh, padded, uh, padded records. Like, if you look at any given uh, professional boxer right now and go to BoxRec and look at the, and look at the record... The first, like, seven or ten fights will just be some... Just be random guys. And even those who fight world champions, quote-unquote, going up... I mean, it's boxing. Everyone is a world champion. Being a world champion in boxing nowadays, it's it's like a bit of a, It's more of a litmus test for whether you're actually world-class or up there. And not whether you're actually a pound-for-pound threat. Because there are so many weight classes and there are so many belts and there are so many variations on that belt. It's something that Floyd Mayweather actually spoke out against by saying that it's something that hurts boxing because it, it dilutes the quality of the fighters in people's eyes and dilutes the weight that the belts carry, and which, I, which is something that I found very funny because Floyd, out of anyone, is the one who benefit, benefited the most from uh, playing the boxing meta by hopping weight classes and fighting uh, world champions in there. And a lot of his wins carry, like, these asterisks. Like, this one fought in a different weight class. This one fought down a weight class. This one this one uh, was old. This one came off a back-and-forth war that leaves a mark on your health going forward to, and uh, diminishes your durability. This one is an easy matchup, etc., etc. The list goes on and on and on. And I'm not shitting on Mayweather here. He actually... Uh, he's, the way he went about building his boxing career and finishing his boxing career is very smart. It's just that, you know, context matters. And, I mean, it's also, like, the whole thing uh, about hyperbole and reactionism uh, in uh, boxing has to do with uh, the fact that uh, there are a lot of drama queens in the boxing sphere as well because, I mean, that's just how modern media works. Uh, that's how... And social media cloud works as well because being loud sells. I mean, look at Skip Bayless, whose entire shtick... Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Smith, uh, the people whose entire shtick is uh, just uh, being loud and saying just whatever and benefiting from hate clicks as, as a result. It's, it's a grift. And people look at these prominent sports figures and decide that this is the way to go. And uh, with the way that social media works in general, it's uh, like Twitter, for example, encourages negative uh, interaction. I mean, look at all the uh, tweets that go like, 
unpopular opinion, but or like post your un- unpopular opinion on the such and such fan base. Po- post your unpopular opinion on such and such movie. Like for some people, it's it's currently like sometimes Twitter partially implements uh, some of their newer uh, features. Like some people have reported that uh, they no longer have the simply retweet button. They have uh, they it just goes into the quote tweet window, and uh, then you have to just uh, ignore that in order to retweet the thing without interacting with it. And this is a way of this is their way of trying to increase interaction between people, because quote tweets are a popular way of uh, dunking on a person you dislike or on a take you dislike or just. And this increases negative interaction people have with uh, with loud, dumb morons, basically. I mean, Uriah Hall spoke out against it uh, in his post-fight interview on the presser uh, right after he starched Anderson Silva in a very, very sad fight, sad old man fight. Conor Ribush wrote uh, an excellent article in the, uh, in the build-up to the fight called The Next Anderson Silva, which examines the... Uh, questions of fighter mentality and how you, the UFC builds its fighters and how it markets them. And f- how fans always clamor for the next uh, iteration of their idol to come into the game and just uh, and uh, make them indulge in their nostalgia once again. And uh, Conor essentially nailed every dynamic of that fight and that piece. So I highly recommend highly recommend you go back and read that. Conor is really at his best whenever he delves into the psychology of fighters and uh, what drives them to succeed uh, or fail, whether despite themselves or otherwise. And a lot of fans are compelled to dismiss that as armchair psychology while gorging themselves on content from uh, people like... from from YouTube channels uh, where they analyze the psychology behind Conor McGregor's boner or how Israel Adesanya... Stands like an incel leaning towards women or something like that. How he breaks his posture, and that makes him uh, that that's a trait of a a better male. <laughs> and I mean that just ties back to my previous point about social media. This is just what sells. People click on this stuff. People are suckers for just for this lowest common denominator slop, and social media companies know this. And media companies in general. This is just uh, this. This isn't just me being conspiratorial. If you uh, look up like uh, social media algorithms and uh, negative interaction, and uh, you'd get a whole bunch of uh, actually actual scientific articles on the subject. Uriah Hall really put it best. Like we make idiots famous. Like, the UFC keeps uh, giving Bryce Mitchell the mic, expecting funny sound bites, like the one he's had on this, uh, that, that, that stupid camera short post-fight interview. Like, the one he, where he started yelling about giving him camera short, something like that. And then they gave him the mic after the fight, and then the only thing that he kept saying was uh, how masks suck and how COVID is just a fake conspiracy or some, or some shit. And when you give people like that a platform to speak on, of course other idiots are going to get encouraged by this. The modern society is incredibly idiot positive, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, earlier this uh, month, uh, Snack Moai, who's uh, a talented uh, video editor who's made several, a whole bunch of uh, fighter fan camps, 
uh, introduced a non-binary person to the, to the world of MMA, and uh, said person got interested in MMA after listening to my podcast, which is uh, uh, made me feel very proud. But then uh, me and Snack sort of like uh, realized that MMA is actually filled with horrible fucking people. And then Dan Albert, a good friend of mine who writes uh, excellent combat analysis articles and uh, has his own podcast called My Life is a Goddamn Mess, asked me in the Fightside Discord on the on the Gridome sub-channel that, uh, like, what do you think about combat sports accessibility and how, like, uh, in order to watch this, you have to accept that you're tuning in to watch people hurt each other. What do you think about introducing people to combat sports? Uh, I, actually, I took long enough answering that. Uh, I took so long answering and that question that uh, uh, he actually recorded a podcast where he examines it himself, but more from a standpoint of someone like, uh, like how do you introduce combat sports to people who dislike violence? Uh, like, like he goes into stuff like escapism, inspiration, like how uh, the way that fighters push past their physical limits. Uh, like inspires people and how how combat sports are the purest expression of the human spirit or at least are one of the purer expressions of uh, the human spirit i highly recommend you check that out but yeah all this stuff just gets me thinking sometimes like uh this podcast started out like uh as me talking about how politics and sports are intertwined and uh in my very second episode i talked about how fighters can use and abuse their platform in order to reflect on the, in order to shed light on some issues or promote their, uh, promote a political view they support. And it's such a large, expansive and deep topic that uh, it's going to take a long old while to actually explore, explore with any degree of, of uh, depth or accuracy. It's a question that uh, ties to the idea of institutions and how uh, various social institutions affect our day-to-day lives, our entertainment, everything. And like, it made me think about various historical examples. Like recent, well, recently there's been a, there's uh, like uh, there's been a whole like controversy with uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov posting a uh, writing a post on his uh, Instagram account, the one where he posted uh, Macron's face. The president of France's uh, face with a bootprint stamped on his uh, on his mug. <laughs> he talked about how people who uh, use freedom of of speech as a um, as an excuse to disrespect religion and uh, disrespect the Prophet Muhammad, and he said that uh, people who do that should uh, should be smitten down by the wrath of God and be cast down into the pits of hell like real fire and brimstone shit and uh, that that uh, phrase that people who utilize uh, freedom of speech as an excuse to insult religion it's a bit of a dog whistle and uh, like for those who don't know a dog whistle is a, basically a euphemism that uh, you would use in order to disguise what you actually think like say what you want to say without actually saying it like some conservatives uh, some shady conservatives use the phrase family values. Protecting family values and the institute of the family values as an excuse to say that women should stay in the kitchen and that men should be men 
etc etc and all uh, with all that entails uh, and like Muhammad Ali the beloved Muhammad Ali one of the like my personal idol and uh, one of the greatest like sporting figures in human history uh, was also a serial adulterer and a notorious womanizer who also talked about how uh, mixed race uh, children shouldn't be a thing and how uh, if if uh, a black woman is caught with a, sleeping with a white man, that black woman should be killed. And I mean, obviously he's not my personal idol because he said that. <laughs> but it just tells you that uh, fighters are not just uh, these like unfeeling golems that uh, only have their fighting career uh, on their mind. They, and they are people with views. And uh, while Habib Nurmagomedov and uh, Muhammad Ali and other fighters, like, for example, Alex Alexis Aguayo, who fam very famously switched sides uh, back and forth during the years of uh, the Nicaraguan Civil War, like, uh, he would support the Contras first, then he would support the Sandinistas, then he would go back to the Contras and then go back to the Sandinistas again, and then actually committed suicide, whether, and uh, which which is uh, something that uh, some people consider to be a political murder, and some people consider to be um, a genuine, an actual suicide that he committed because uh, he felt uh, he struggled with depression a lot of the time, and that uh, the internal internal turmoil brought about by the civil war and his uh, actions during the civil war uh, became unbearable for him. And this is a man who, by all rights, was considered to be too good for boxing, like as a person, like a sport where wife beaters are run of the are a run of the mill occurrence, and a sport where killing your wife isn't uh, something that uh, gets you banned for life, like for example with the with the one of with the greatest middleweight champion in history, Manzon, Carlos Manzon, that is, like he picked his uh, he like he. In a fit of rage, he picked his wife up and threw her off a fucking balcony, killing her. I mean, he was retired by then, but uh, it didn't get him, like, unpersoned from the sport. Like, nobody went back and, uh, and, and like, brushed his name off uh, the history, all the history books and all the records, uh, all the boxing records. I mean, part of it is because uh, uh, being horrible to women uh, has been normalized for hundreds of years. And part of it uh, is because Manzon is a legendary fighter that was actually one of the greatest fighters of all time. And so, like, being a fight fan has always been this sort of, like, a moral bargaining game. Like, how much are you willing to forgive? And how much are you willing to ignore or accept in order to enjoy what you're watching on the screen? And the short, uh, like, uh, the... General answer to this is that uh, under the current social climate and the current uh, and in the way that the current world works, there aren't actually no like ethical ways to consume anything. Like your, like even your smartphone that you're currently used to talk about all the social issues uh, on Twitter on social media is uh, has been uh, very likely has been built by like child slaves somewhere in China under horrible conditions, and like. Thinking about all this on a daily basis and being mindful of this on a daily basis is something that, uh, like, when you do that, if you do that, you run the risk of uh, 
becoming so depressed that you actually start thinking about whether like if there's any point to it to it all like to, like why the fuck would i want to live in, in a world like this like if every breathing moment every breathing living moment that i have like date in my day-to-day life prolongs someone someone else's suffering somewhere down on the other end of the globe I mean, not to sound presumptuous or not to sound like someone like a, with a messiah complex, but that's true. When you zoom out enough, you start to realize that all the systems that are built around you in order to make your life comfortable uh, have been built at someone else's expense. And combat sports is no different. Like the going back to the Muhammad Ali example, the fact that uh, the Rumble and the Jungle fight took place in uh, Zaire, ruled by a murderous dictator who famously utilized slave labor in order to build the fucking arena and uh, very famously had those like labor slaves, like all those actual slaves and political his political enemies who were made into slave labor put under the arena into like uh, cells where they were tortured and executed as the fight was going on. And it's still remembered as one of the greatest moments in sporting history and not something like and it's not remembered for like this fact that people were got tortured and murdered in the process. So then, taking all that into account, you have to ask yourself, like, why the fuck do you even watch this thing? Like why the fuck do you even indulge in all the like all your hobbies? All your like like, a less gruesome example would be something like playing Red Dead Redemption 2, which uh, notoriously was uh, developed under horrible con- working conditions. Uh, the, uh, the developers had to work, like, 100-hour 100 hour sh- work weeks in 12-hour shifts, not seeing their loved ones, not seeing their relatives, living in their... Uh, in, essentially living in their workplace... For the whole duration of the uh, development process. And then you give money to their bosses who facilitated all that, who encouraged all that, in order to play the game. And uh, it's not the employees who are benefiting from your money, it's the bosses who are taking all the large bonuses for like and patting themselves on the back for releasing such a great, great selling product, great selling a prominent product off the backs of uh, the labor of all those poor fucking programmers and shit. And like, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I can't actually give you an answer because it's something that I struggle with personally. And I mean, I do have actual like pressing concerns to be worried about. Like, I I live in <laughs> like I live in a fucking village in the middle of Siberia, and what all that entails. But you gotta ask yourself these questions every once in a while, just purely, like, in in order to at least stay mindful of who you are as a human. Because all these people that I just described, all these, like, giant media conglomerates, uh, like, murderous dictators, etc., uh, etc., et actually want us to be, like, uh, these mindless consumers. Like, I've been given this platform by the fight site in order to talk about the... Uh, the about uh, the culture of fighting and fighting itself. And uh, when you, like, think about it, all of this, uh, the culture of fighting or the the meta of fighting, the way that uh, the Institute of Fighting works, it's all connected to the rest of the world. It doesn't work in isolation. So I guess the end goal of this podcast is to give uh, at least 
a sufficient enough answer to some of these questions, and I want to build up enough, like, uh, like I'm learning on on the job, essentially. Like, I've never done anything like this before. I have no relevant podcasting experience. I, I'm learning how to edit this whole thing on the fly in Audacity. <laughs> and I have no official education on this on these subjects. It's just something that I... Uh, it's just something that I consider my default state of being, like uh, constant self-evaluating and constant self-improvement, and uh, this show is a bit of an outlet for that. I'm sure that I, if I... Like as I grow older, and I would go back to the to these episodes that I've recorded in my very early run, I'd be horribly embarrassed for myself. <laughs> but I've stated this multiple times, and I stand by my statement in that, and I hope I'm going to continue to stand by this statement in that these are the topics that are very rarely covered in uh, in the combat sports sphere, and uh, they should be covered. If you want to, if you want the fan base to actually improve somewhat down the line, maybe not even in our lifetimes, or maybe even not within our children's children's uh, lifetimes, but uh, like everything else, uh, with uh, when 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 it feels like nothing means anything, the real answer to that is just uh, who gives a shit. If it doesn't mean anything, then the, who gives a shit if you try? To improve the thing. There are of course better ways to do this. Than uh, just uh, talk shit uh, into your phone. And then uh, upload it. Uh, and then put it out on YouTube. Uh, only to get lost in the endless sea of uh, just borderline asinine shit. People reacting to people reacting to uh, uh, MCU movie trailers. And uh, pissing their pants from excitement. But you know. This is becoming a bit of a downer topic, or like a pretty sad topic, uh, I should say, because Kyle recently pointed out to me that uh, downer is actually a very offensive word from where he, uh, from uh, where he comes. <laughs> but you know, lofty goals, and uh, I hope to, I hope to meet them someday, hopefully sooner rather than later. So I guess. Stay tuned for that, because it's a topic I wanted to cover for a really long time. Maybe invite some actual, like, expert guests over. Or at least people who are more equipped to talk about it than me. Maybe, I'll, hopefully, I'll learn something, and maybe my listeners will learn something. That would be really cool. But anyway, let's uh, do a quick recap of the news, and then let's wrap this bitch up. And not in the way Manzon did it. Yeah, I think it's been confirmed, uh, already confirmed, that uh, Israel Adesanya is going to be moving up to lightweight, uh, which means, like, uh, which which some people reacted very negatively negatively towards, because uh, double champs have been bad news uh, ever since their conception. But, you know, I mean, it's uh, middleweight and light heavyweight. Who gives a shit? There's nothing there. I mean, middleweight is somewhat better, because there are actually, like, Two or three guys actually can do things and are not absolute shite at it, but uh, the rest of the division is just... <laughs> and light heavyweight is even bigger. <laughs> and there's legitimately no one else for Easy to beat, so I guess I guess if he wants, he can... Uh, he can... Uh, he can bonk uh, Big Yan, and then he can bonk uh, John Jones. 
wouldn't do much for his legacy, but the optics are great, I guess. The real uh, takeaway from all this is that uh, Robert Whittaker is finally saved. <laughs> and like Dana White went into his usual spiel about uh, Robert not uh, wanting to fight Israel Adesanya, which is blatantly not true. Uh, Robert actually stated that he wants to fight Adesanya down the line, but he just has a newborn uh, coming up, has a baby on the way, and he w wishes to stay for the baby and uh, make sure that it's uh, healthy and all that, like be a dad instead of worrying about fights, which is a sentiment I completely agree with. But I mean, Dana White just can't do, doesn't understand how to do things without uh, bullying his fighters and just painting them in a negative light, because he's just he's a, he's a, he's a cunt like that. Dana White's, I mean, he's just... The man's a massive fucking cunt. He's just a cunt. He's a cunt. His wife's a cunt. His parents are cunts. His grandma and grandpa are cunts. His kids are cunts. His uncles are cunts. His dogs are cunts. His cats are cunts. And acts like a cunt towards his cunt dog. He lives in a county house and drives a county car. <laughs> uh, uh, we're cunt people and we want our... Can't spot to stay right where it belongs, where we can be cunts to each other under the same country status quo. That's how it, how the world works. <laughs> I don't actually know if uh, Dana White's parents or his grandparents are cunts, but I mean, they spawned Dana White. So, I'm sorry. No sympathy here. But yeah, I guess uh, Rob can just uh, like knock the shit out of uh, Polo Costa and then, uh, I don't know, retire. Rob is one of those fighters that I would actually like to see happy rather than fighting. So if he decides to do that, then all power to him. Oh yeah, a lot of people got really mad that uh, Adesanya is moving up to become a double champ because they uh, thought that Ankalaev is the more deserving uh, prospect and uh, contender in the, the light heavyweight division. And I mean, this whole Ankalaev standing is just just downright weird to me. I don't understand it. Like, I mean, I mean, it's light heavyweight. Whenever there's someone who's not completely shit at his job, uh, people always jump on that bandwagon and expect great things from him. And by great things, I mean something like doing basic run-of-the-mill Southpaw stuff and uh, just knocking everyone dead with your left hand because uh, people at light heavyweight don't know shit about fuck. Like, I've talked about how in MMA, like, every fight is potentially legacy-defining, but it's uh, not really not really the case at high weights, because uh, those weights are, are a bog, a void of nothing. Like, nothing ever matters there. Like, uh, Stipe Miocic is fighting uh, Ngannou for the second time, and it's like, uh, it's like you look at all this stuff and start feeling like Rust Cole. <laughs> Time is a rectangular octahedron. Oh, well, uh, next up, uh, this week we got Thiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the fact that this is a fight that's actually happening. We also have Andrei Arlovsky versus, versus uh, Tena Boza uh, as the co-main. So, I take back everything I've ever said about, uh, like, uh, saying the void no and living to fight another day, and trying to change things for the better. I'd rather kill myself than see this. I guess Yang Xiaonan is fighting. I guess she, she's cool, because she, she does Sanda stuff. 
There are a couple of men's bantamweight fights. I guess uh, they could be, like, uh, good fun. Do you know what? Maybe next week's episode maybe uh, could be dedicated to all the things that I've uh, I said I want to talk about. Instead of actually trying to do a post-fight breakdown because there's fucking nothing going on. Go listen to, like, Heavy Hands or something. They always cover every week's event. I don't... They also preview every week's event. Event. I don't know how they fucking do it. Because uh, if I... If I were even forced to do that, I'd rather, like... Stick my head uh, into an oven rather than do that. But yeah, bit of a... Bit of a weird contemplative episode. Contemplative episode, this one. Uh, Check out our Patreon... Uh, where we've uh, where we put out stuff like alternate commentary tracks, and uh, recently at at Gala started a uh, a resume evaluation series where he goes back and watches every single fight from a, uh, a fighter of your choosing, provided you pay us enough. But you gain access to all the uh, resume evaluations that he already that he's already done by paying us as little as three dollars per month. $5 gets you access to our Discord, where you can ask me questions for the pod. This is the best way to ensure that I'm actually going to answer the answer your questions. And just uh, uh, Discord, uh, we call it great Discord community in general. Uh, everyone is uh, witty, smart, and uh, always great fun to talk to. Check out Hyperfly for all your grappling and combat sports needs. Sign with a Bavada for a $250 signing bonus. Please bet responsibly. Check out ExpressVPN, which provides protection in an era of uh, mass communication, when personal information protection is uh, more important than ever. Uh, These episodes are getting increasingly harder to make because of uh, life stuff and uh, the fact that my sleep schedule has been ruined because of the scheduling of some some of the fights and I've had to stay up all night and then... I felt sort of fucked up for, like, the whole two weeks. Uh, if this episode uh, has turned out to be a shambling, rambling mess, then uh, I apologize. And, I mean, it's not like I'm making, like, B-weekly episodes that uh, require me to put out... Uh, require me to put out to consistently... Uh, quali- con- put out combat analysis of consistent quality, fuck's sake. But I mean, it's a bit of a Seinfeld podcast anyhow. Like, I just talk about whatever. But yeah, next I'm planning, or at least I'm thinking of planning to tackle the questions of uh, combat sports accessibility and equality in combat sports and all that. Which is something that I wanted to extrapolate on ever since uh, episode 2, where I talked about how I think that sports are a genuine way to like build bridges between people and build bridges between cultures. Cultures. Uh, there's also a whole bunch of questions that are laying uh, laying down in, in the Discord, collecting dust, which I I am absolutely planning on to. I am absolutely intending to uh, get back to them and record uh, one more listener mailbag sort of uh, episode. Stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening. Keep your head up and your chin tucked in. Dahin, ozotra, pyrte.